0: Six months ago, six months ago, I will not forget it because I think it was probably the beginning of the end of life as I knew it for the next six months. I remember about six months ago, thereabouts, maybe, maybe a little few, a little bit before that, I picked up the phone to call Disney World. Now, You would not understand that it's a multi-billion dollar company, because the thing I was trying to reserve, you actually had to go all 1980s and pick up the phone and call. But it's not enough that they have to humiliate you that way. It's that when you actually connect to the other side, it's about 32 minutes of, it's a small world after all, it's a small world after all. And then after enough of that mental anguish, a cheerful voice picks up the phone and says, thank you for calling Disney World. I hope you're having a magical day. You know, at Disney, they use the word magical a lot. I don't think they know what it means. (laughs) Because in my view, magical, at least from that point forward, meant a lot of planning preparation, stress, anxiety, overthinking. Was I, was I planning enough? Was I planning too much? Were we going to the right parts? Were we going in the right order? Did we have the magical hours figured out? Did we get our magic bands? Were we going to have to wait in line a lot or a little or just the amount, right amount of time? What about eating? Would we just eat regular food? Would we do the dining plan? Or what were we going to do? Disney World was a terrible place to go. If you're a classic overthinker, it it really is impossible. At some point I just sat back and said, you know what, Christy, they have got our money and we are along for the ride. But it was, it was, it was a really cool experience. If you've never been, uh, please, please, I beg of you, never, ever go. Um, People... People are like, oh, you're going to Disney. That's going to be great. You know, I mean, it's just a trick. They're just. The difficulty in planning a trip like that, I realized, is that I made it more complicated than it needed to be. If at some point I just would have said, you know what? The kids are going to have a great time. Disney has prepared this unique, world class experience. And we're just going to go and enjoy it. If it when, I, when I would just learn to do that, then you can truly enjoy Disney. But if you're a planner, if you're a control freak, if you like things, you know, if you like to know what's going on, Disney is not the place for you. Anybody in here an overthinker? Anybody in here keep things, uh, make things way more complicated than they need to be? Yeah, Yeah, most of us, by human nature, we do that from time to time. And this morning, what I want to talk to you, not as a part of any series, just as a part of you and your relationship to the Lord, just as, as, as part of you relating to the Almighty through Christ Jesus, I want to encourage you with these three simple words. You probably guessed them by now. Keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate things. We have enough complication and anxiety and stress in our lives. Um, and so when we see things in the world where they are attempting to simplify something, it becomes very popular and very powerful. I'll give you a few examples. Um, probably most of you know what this symbol is. Okay? Okay. It's a it's a multi trillion dollar company. All right. And they took something that is now all of us have. In 2007, not very many people had these devices. They were called smartphones. And, uh, they had them, but, you know, they were like Blackberries and they had a multitude of buttons and the software didn't always work with the hardware and, and there was all sorts of decisions to make. And, and some people like this brand, some people like this brand, but they couldn't make the programs that they liked work. And, and people in the technology industry believed that it was possible to put the power of a computer in your pocket. But Apple was the one who did that. Who made that possible? Ten years ago in 2007, Steve Jobs announced that you could have an iPod. You could have your phone. You could have your email. You could web surf. You could do all of that in one device. They called it iPhone. And, and they just made it so simple. Because, see, if you're not familiar with Apple, Apple, what they do is they they develop the hardware, the entire phone they design. But they also develop the software. And they have very tight controls on what is allowed on their phones and what's not. And so from end to end, Apple controls the experience. For a long time, uh, Apple's motto was, it just works. Uh, because, you know, before Apple was a, what we know as a smartphone company, they had computers. You know, before that, there were computers, but it were people who were techies and who were smart and who knew code and all of that. And it just became too complicated, but Apple simplified the computer. They simplified the smartphone, and people gravitated toward that. Now, there's some of you in here this morning like, oh, Toby and Apple and iPhones, come on. Get a real phone. Those Apple phones are Mickey Mouse phones, you know. How many of you in here have an Android or a Samsung? Hey, you like those better, right? Yeah, they're so cool because they have all these features that the iPhone doesn't have. Like, like on some, some of them, your batteries will explode randomly. That's pretty cool. <laughs> They get viruses here and there, really some cool features that you can't get on the iPad. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Write me up on Twitter. Um, I'll give the Google people something. It was 1998 and they developed a company. Now, Now, the Internet was very new and there was a lot of people beginning to get an idea that search engines were going to be very powerful. What was the page that people would go to to ask the questions, to find information? There were a lot of search engine pages, Excite and Yahoo and MSN and all these, you know. but, But there was this one, all of these search pages were cluttered with ads and articles and it was very hard on the eyes to read. But one company developed a very simple looking site, Google. And now Google's not just a company, it's a verb. Driving down the road, there's a company with a big sign that just says Google it. Just Google it. Because what they did, there was a lot of search engines at the time, but what Google figured out was people didn't want a lot of complexity and stress when they went to find the answer to something. They wanted a blank page with a bar that you could type in to ask any question you wanted. And now Google knows more about you than almost anyone else. Um, Perhaps you're familiar with this airline company. Southwest Airlines started about 50 years ago in 1967 by Herb Callagher. And when he started that company, he he wanted to change airline travel. Now, if you're familiar with traveling on Southwest Airlines, you know they do a few things a little differently. They don't have a first class and economy class. It's everybody gets the same shot at those same seats on the airplane. Uh, when they, when you take your bag, you don't get charged for the first bag. I mean, it's, it's just flying. They don't have beautiful, uh, extensive, lavish meals. And of course, a lot of airlines have followed suit with this, but in the beginning, they were the only ones that just served peanuts and Coke. That was it. They don't have a hub. You know, most airlines you, you get on, you're going to end up flying through Atlanta or flying through uh, Chicago, but Southwest just has a lot of direct flights. They wanted to simplify airline travel you see the power of simplicity when in the free market when you can figure out an idea that maybe even lots of other companies are doing but if you can just simplify it down to make it as easy as possible i mean think about what modern companies you know amazon you get on your phone they want to make it as easy as possible for you to buy they want you to touch your phone as few times as possible before buying lots of things that you don't need Now, you know I'm giving all these examples. You know where I'm going, don't you? You know. You know by now. Come on. I know it's probably been three weeks since you heard a reference. But you know that there was this company in 1946 that started out as the Dwarf House. And that company that started out in 1946, built by Truett Cathy, is now a multi-billion dollar conglomerate known as Chick-fil-A. Now, there are lots of food companies up there. And you think about the staple item on their menu, it's the original chicken sandwich. And it's not very complicated. It's two buttery toasted buns. <laughs> thick, plump, juicy chicken breast. Served at the perfect temperature with a single pickle. Now we all want it so badly and we can't have it till tomorrow. That, that's very sad. But Trua Kathy said there's one philosophy. If food is essential to life, then make it good. Now, some people aren't big fans of the chicken. I, I don't know how you live that way. But some people aren't big fans of the chicken. But you cannot deny that when you go into Chick-fil-A, they treat you like a special guest. OK, so we understand the power of simplicity. Now, let me step into the world of faith for just a minute. In the world of faith... Human beings have often and frequently made our relationship with the Lord very complex, full of lots of rules and barriers and things that are not in the word. And the best, truest kind of faith has often been very simple, obedient, trusting faith. In Jesus' day, there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, There were lots more Jewish sects than that, but they they were these well-known groups that made it getting to God very difficult and very hard. Uh, it, It was 611 laws that were written down, but there were well over 600 oral traditions and teachings. The rabbis used to call this the yoke. The, the, the rabbis, what they're teaching would be, would be a set of instructions that were an interpretation, if you will, of the law. And so when you followed a rabbi, you were taking upon his yoke. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 11. Verses 28 through 30. Jesus said something very, very beautiful. Come to me. see, Jesus there as a, as a Jewish teacher was saying, listen, if you choose to follow me, the set of teaching that I have is not hard. It's, it, I'm sorry, it's not complicated. It's very simple. Now, that doesn't always mean it's going to be easy. But Jesus calls us to a light and easy yoke. When we think about our relationship with God, often we think about doing extraordinary things. I want to do big things for God. I want God to do big things for me. I want to do amazing and give glory to him and really maybe a little glory for myself. But God doesn't need us to be extraordinary. He just needs us to be ordinarily faithful. God is the extraordinary. He's the extraordinary factor. And when we hold true to him, we can find some beautiful things along the way. Let's turn to Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, which is our key text this morning. And I want you in it so bad this morning. If you don't know where Micah is, because he's a minor prophet in the Old Testament, uh, but if you get a pew Bible, just turn to page 923. Turn there in the pew Bible, because I really do want everyone there. Now, while you're turning there or scrolling there, however you get there, I want to give you a little bit of background. First, Micah is preaching to a divided kingdom, the northern and the southern kingdom. He's preaching to the southern kingdom of Judah. This is the people who aren't living in the glory days of Saul or David or Solomon. They keep hearing the stories of how good it used to be and all the things that God used to do. But now their their brothers in the north have been taken off captive and they're living a constant fear of being attacked and being um, Taken over by another nation. And, and Micah's got this simple message. He says, I, I want you to uh, obey the Lord. And he promises that they're going to have a new king. But I want you to keep things very simple as he tries to give them hope. Now hopefully you're in Micah chapter 6, verses 6-8. Six you just turn there and a few pages in your Bible. But we are about 800 years before Jesus. Uh, We're a long ways from today, and here's what the scripture says. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? I'm going to stop right there and say, you know, we don't identify with this sacrificial system. As Tyler mentioned this morning, there are so many sacrifices under the Old Testament system and so many things to think about that we don't... That's the furthest thing from our mind. But again, it was under their system and it was a complicated, difficult, hard system to understand and to apply. And so... As part of that system, Micah says, Is God, does God want your very best? Does he want the most of what you can give? Does he want the extra special gift in the offering? He continues. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? See, He has shown you, oh man, what is good. And here's what Micah breaks it down to. He says, I want you to understand, you think that God wants so much from you, but God has given you so much. And here is the very simple things that he requires. And this is going to be the basis for the rest of our lesson this morning. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. First, we, we've got to learn to act justly. Um, that, a better way of saying that, or a, maybe a more modern way, but not necessarily a better way, but is to do what's right. Uh, not necessarily doing what's easy or what's popular, but doing what's right. You see, it's easy to be pulled into doing what is popular, what everybody else is doing, what app they're downloading, what social media site they're on. That's easy to do, but doing what's right, sometimes that's harder. Doing what's right is more than just about being right. A lot of people are focused on being right, Um you may not know this there's a lot of pressure on a preacher. If you mess up one story. I mean I'm sure there's a detail about Apple or Southwest or Google that I missed and somebody's going to come up and they love Google and they're going to tell me all about Google because they want to be right. See God is concerned with being right when it's being right with him. But the main thing he wants from us is to do what's right. And that's harder. That's more challenging. That's more convicting. A few examples. Do what's right. Do what's right when you're at school. Um, I'm speaking to this the group right here. You guys are all studying and praying, looking down. I appreciate that. Um, but you, tomorrow, you have a choice. You get to choose what kind of student you're going to be. I know that when the teacher gives a test, there are going to be some people that cheat. And it's pretty slick. They've got all these apps and all these things that you can do. And it's easy to do. You don't have to study. You don't have to put in any time. Teacher probably didn't even care, not even paying attention. There's more people in your class than they could possibly pay attention to. But God calls you to do what is right. And if you didn't study this weekend and you get that test tomorrow, he'd rather that you... Honestly get an F, then cheat and get an A. Because it's, I know that doesn't look good on a college resume, but on God's resume, that's infinitely more important. Tomorrow at school, you're gonna have an opportunity to sit with your friends that you always sit with. And, and to be very comfortable And to talk about things that you're familiar with. But you're going to see, you're going to see those kids who don't have anybody to sit with. They don't fit in anywhere. And and you're going to lose some credibility if you invite them to your table. But God's going to call you to bypass the social pecking order and go sit with that kid. You see, doing right is harder than being right. So do what's right when you're at school. Let's talk about on the job. You know, I I know that um, you're going to go there, ironically enough, with your smartphone. And things will be a little slow at work. The supervisor, the boss, or the foreman won't be around. And you'll be tempted just to get on Snapchat or scroll Facebook. Let the boss pay for that time. And I know that's what everybody else is doing. But the question is, what does God want you to do? What kind of worker does he call you to be? Do what's right. Don't steal from your boss. And I know around the the water cooler, around the coffee pot, or wherever you gather... It's popular for people to badmouth the boss or the manager. Well, I don't know if to do this, I don't know if to do that. But your boss is paying you, and he doesn't call you to badmouth or gossip. What about in business? I know it's possible to cheat people, and probably the IRS won't find out. Maybe you got uh, people that won't ever see those books. But God calls you to do what's right. True character is doing what's right, even when no one else is looking. Maybe it's better said, true character is doing what's right, especially when no one else is looking. I went to lunch with a guy, and... Uh, we were going Went down to Picasso's Pizza down in Delano, and um, he pulled out his wallet, and I could see, and he knew that he had a business card and a personal card. Now, he and I weren't there to talk about business, and in that moment, he had a decision to do what was right. Oh, I doubt anybody on the expense report would have red-flagged it. He probably could have gotten away with it. But in that moment, he pulled out his personal card because he was going on a personal lunch. And he was honoring God because he was doing what is right. Now, we got to be careful here. When I tell you to do what's right, it's very popular in our culture right now. To That just means follow this part of your body. Just follow your heart. Sounds like I'm in a helicopter right now. Very slow flying helicopter. But we got to be careful about discerning what's right by just following this. Here's how we discern what's right. This is where God says what's right. We have to learn to discern what God says is right. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man or to a person, but in the end it is the way of death. God calls us to do what's right by Him. Not what's right by everybody else. And that, that's a little harder sometimes. So may we do what is right. And that's important that we actually do it. On, on Sunday morning, the temptation is, I filled out my handout, I turned to the verses where he said to, and then to fold up my Bible, to put my hand out of my pocket, and to walk out of the building and not do anything about it. James, the book of James, he tells us, Anyone who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. Do you understand that you may have this memorized? You may have an entire year's worth of handouts filled out. But if you don't change your behavior, you haven't made application to what is right. So don't just know what is right. Do what is Right. Secondly, Micah tells us that we've got to, I'm sorry, there's a verse from James after 417. Whoever knows the right thing he ought to do and does not do it for him, it is sin. Secondly, Micah tells us to love mercy. Mercy is, is very simply defined as not getting what you've deserved. I've heard preachers, you've heard preachers define mercy, you know, you, by telling a story. You know, you're going down the road. You're driving 80 miles an hour down Kellogg. I really can't blame you, but you're not going to get there any faster. You're driving 80 miles an hour down Kellogg. Out comes the red and blue. Out comes James Pierman. He walks up. He's got the, the, the sunglasses with the mirror on the inside. I mean, he's walking up there real slow. Do you know how fast you were going? Now, I guarantee you that every police officer has heard every excuse under the book. Okay? And if you're just honest and you say, yes, sir, I, I was speeding. justice is him saying, yes, you were, and writing you a ticket and you paying the fine. Mercy is when he gives you a beautiful, glorious thing from the Lord called a warning. Do you all remember whenever you've got a warning? How many of you remember getting a warning? We all remember getting warnings. Why? Because that is mercy. That is not getting what you deserve. I I don't even remember what it was he did But I remember Tyler and I had this conversation. He had done something wrong. He deserved spanking with the rod. We went into his room as we normally did. We prayed. We talked. I told him that I loved him. And then I said, Tyler, I'm going to teach you a lesson today that I hope you never forget. I said, today you deserve the rod for what you did. But we've talked about it, and knowing your heart today, I want to show you mercy. I'm not going to give you the rod. Do you know he remembered that? He remembers that to this day, the one time his dad showed him mercy. (laughs) We remember mercy. God calls us to be merciful because it's what impacts people. It's what makes people say, oh, wait a second. Something's different about you. You could have given that person justice. You could have given them a piece of your mind. But what you gave them was beautiful. You gave them what God gave you. In fact, in Luke six thirty six, I think this is the verse. Jesus said this: "Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful." Let me question here. Let me do a little poll. Okay, we've done a few hand raising this morning. Um, on Judgment Day, whenever that is, could be this evening. It could be 25 years from now, it could be a thousand years from now. On Judgment Day, which would you prefer? Would you rather to have justice from God, or would you rather to have mercy from God? If you would rather have justice from God, please raise your hand. Okay. Thank goodness, because um, whew, if you want God's justice, be some lightning bolts coming down. If we, none of us could stand under God's justice. None of us. But through Christ. Let me ask you this. How many of you would love to have mercy on judgment day? I hope all of you are raising your hands because if you're not, you're lying. You don't want God's justice on judgment day. Unless you consider that the justice through Jesus Christ, but it's through Jesus Christ that you get mercy. God is merciful, and he calls us to be just as merciful, to let it overflow to and through us. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 2, and he's talking about judgment. He says, with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Let me ask you this. This past week, how merciful were you? How much mercy did you show the person who cut you off in traffic? How much mercy did you show to the person that you were standing in line at Panera and they have that weird sort of, we don't know who's in line, and they just walk right up and meander up to the cashier's like, hello? Did you show them any mercy? How much mercy did you show the coworker who's a complete and total jerk and who's having a terrible day? How much mercy did you show to your spouse? How much mercy did you show to your children? God calls us to be merciful as he is merciful. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. See, if I think about a measure, I think, first of all, about a little teaspoon. Not very much. Just a little bit of mercy. You know people like this. (laughs) They measure out mercy like this. That's all you're getting and no more. Maybe you, maybe you measure out a full cup. Maybe you're feeling generous and you give him a full cup. You know, God calls us to be people who deal out mercy by the wheelbarrow full. Because that's the amount of mercy he's given to us on a daily basis. May we be merciful as he is merciful. And finally, we are called to walk humbly with your God. Now, walking humbly is not a matter of talking humbly. Walking humbly is only shown by how you walk and by how you live. In in Luke chapter 18, I'm not going to go through the entire text, but there's a story of two men, one of whom is very religious, the other who is not. And they both come before God. And the other looks, one looks toward God and he says, I thank you, God, because in a world that we live in today, I am so good. And I haven't fallen in any way. I've done all of these good things. I, I love you so much. And I thank you that you've made me so great and good and that you have the opportunity to hear from me. That's the message version. There's this other man who won't even look up toward heaven. Tears pour down his face as he realize how much he's done wrong. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He says this man went home justified before the Lord. What was the difference between the two men? They both messed up. They both were human, but one of them was humble. One of them was humble before the Lord. Humility is lived out in how we walk with other people. It's shown in how we treat other people. Turn in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 5 through 7. This is interesting that Peter Kind of lumps this together. We know verse 7, but give you a little context. Read verses 5 and 6. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. That he may lift you up in due time. If we could somehow put on the radar, uh, uh, look for humility. My question for you would be, do you berate your spouse? Do you talk down to them? Do you break the laws? Whether they're on the road or in business or Tax laws or whatever, what kind of, do you break those laws? Because when you break those laws, you have a humility problem. You're saying the rules don't apply to me. I'm special. Do you gripe against the elders or against the church leaders? You know, I did that trunk or treat and boy, I spent a lot of money on hot dogs. Listen to me. Some people are only happy when they're unhappy. You know, are, are you a natural griper? Do you rant on social media? I'll give you this. I'll I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you permission to rant on social media about all the politics you want. As soon as I hear one person come down on Sunday morning and say, you know, your diatribe against Donald Trump, it really brought me closer to the Lord. It brought me to Jesus. You know, your diatribe against Democrats or Republicans, you know, that really brought me to Jesus just as it ought to. When that happens, then i'll be all for diatribes and rants on social media but until then maybe we have a pride problem because everyone has a platform everyone can speak their mind at any time and that's not always a good thing when you go to a, a, a restaurant after church today how do you treat the waiter or waitress you treat them like a child of god you complain about everything You leave a tip. When you complain about what you did get or what you didn't get at church. You know, I sure am tired of Chick-fil-A references. I sure wish he'd pick Arby's. Just, they have the meats. I mean, when you have a general sense of entitlement or what the world owes you, you have a pride problem. All of these things can be on our pride radar. But we got to pay attention to how we're treating other people, because that's the best indication of what our attitude is might be toward the Lord. Well, if you see any of these, I want to challenge you to do better this week to walk with the Lord in humility, to love mercy and to do what's right. If you haven't been doing what's right, I want to leave you with James chapter four, verses six through ten. God opposes the proud, James says, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God and he will uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord. And he will lift you up. In your walk with God, please keep it simple. Do what's right. Love mercy for others as much as you love mercy for yourself. And walk in humility with the Lord. Now, if you're ready to come near to God, if you haven't been doing what's right, if you've been judgmental and unmerciful and unkind and cruel, or if you've just got a pride problem, my answer for you is Jesus. He is the best answer for mankind. He is our last, best hope on earth and in eternity. If you're ready to come to him, if you're ready to know him, if you're ready to walk with him, then we invite you to come this morning. Our shepherds will be waiting down front. We'll be glad to help you, pray with you, or do anything we might for you as together we stand and sing.